Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe, Lewis Goldberg, and Nick Opich of Casey Stay Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. Today, Nick and Ann are talking international cannabis with Jordan Lewis, founder and CEO of Fatmer Life Sciences. Fatmer is notable in the industry for making the first ever commercial shipment of high THC medical marijuana flower from Latin America. This historic milestone has positioned the company as an undisputed leader in the region. If you're interested in what's going on with cannabis on a global scale, then this is the episode for you. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now onto our conversation with Anne, Nick, and Jordan. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. We like to give listeners an idea of the human behind the companies that we talk with. So before we jump into your work at Fatmer, um, we want to hear your cannabis story. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you, Anne and Nick, for having me. It's, it's really nice to be here. And um, hopefully we can share uh, not just about myself, but Fatmer and Uruguay and, and all the great things that we see happening here. So um, my background, I was, I was born in New York. Um, my early career, I spent working in uh, real estate development in New York City. And I realized that that was not for me. So I started looking uh, really towards, you know, my passions in life, which at the time were aviation and, and medicine. Um, and so I was uh, studying to go to vet school. And, and before that, I, I decided to join with some conservation projects in Africa, and I spent two years flying bush planes in Africa, uh, doing tracking work mostly during the day. And, and on the side, we would uh, I would help the, the re- researchers, oftentimes, uh, you know, immobilize animals that needed radio collars changed, or you know, doing other work like that. So it was really an exciting few years of my life. And then I came back from that and went to the University of Pennsylvania, where I studied veterinary medicine. Uh, my focus was in pharmacology. And, you know, throughout the course of my time in Africa, I, I also became involved in looking at agricultural practices that were sustainable because oftentimes a lot of the conflict with wildlife re- revolved around uh, resources and one of the most uh, sort of scarce resource being water itself. So that's where I, I began to familiarize myself with hydroponic crop production. Um, and it was really just a, a confluence of uh, interests and experiences which prepared me uh, for the legalization and the opportunities that that presented in the U.S. So in July 2009, I was you know, pretty early in my veterinary career, and I was, became aware that Colorado had uh, just passed a law that allowed for the beginning of the industry there. And I saw this as a really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I got on a plane the next day literally. And, um, and I landed in, in Aspen, Colorado, and I, I set up uh, among, I would say, the first handful of cannabis businesses in the state of Colorado. Um, and I was able to bring to the table my experience in both medicine as well as my experience in hydroponic crop production. And um, as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> 
I think we are, it is safe to say that you're the first Bush pilot and vet uh, that we've talked to that has entered the cannabis space. <laughs> so, I mean, kudos on that. And, and I have to ask, how many pets do you have right now? Well, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, I, I, uh, I've been so busy, it's been hard to, you know, keep as many animals as I'd like, but I, I have a couple dogs and um, uh, my kids have some, some rats and cats and Sort of well, definitely jealous of, of you having a dog. I've been <laughs> just hounding my wife, pun intended, to uh, to get a dog here during quarantine. So um, hopefully, fingers crossed, I can get one soon. But um, I, I digress. So let's jump back into what's the give us the genesis for Fotmer though. What what led to the creation of Fotmer Life Sciences, and give us a rundown of where the company's at today. Yeah, sure. So you know, uh, after. Um, after vet school, I actually I came to to Argentina to start get, training uh, in equine sports medicine because um, there's a just sort of a, a very rich uh, tradition and, and culture of of horses in Argentina, and I, I thought it would be a, a great place to sort of cut my teeth. So um, while I was in Argentina, I I, I, um, I came to Uruguay on vacation. I'm an avid kite surfer, and Uruguay has. I'm not sure I want to tell everybody, but that's the best guy surfing in the world. Um, so, we can't travel anywhere, oh so God. it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, well, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a secret nonetheless, but I'll share it with this group here. Um, but so I, I came here on vacation and I, I just fell in love with the country. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the most unique places I've ever been um, in terms of just physical beauty and, and the culture and, and just sort of the pace of life. And for no good reason, I, I bought some land uh, and I say no good reason other than the fact that I loved it, but you know, I had no real connection to Latin America at the time. And I started the process of building a house in Uruguay. This was in, in 2008 before I was even in the cannabis industry. Um, subsequent to that, I, you know, I came back to the U S and I did get in, involved in the industry and lo and behold, in 2013, Uruguay just happened to become the first country in the world to federally legalize cannabis. So, you know, being a small country, uh, you know, I had, you know, fairly good contacts down here. They reached out to me and they said, Hey, you know, the, the government is implementing a legalization program. They're, they're actually coming to Colorado to learn about how Colorado did it. And so I was put in touch with the, the government, um, can, the, the government uh, representatives that were coming to Colorado and I invited them to Aspen and we spent a nice weekend exchanging information and, and that began a relationship, which fast forward to um, October, 2017 resulted in, in my company, Fotmer Life Sciences, uh, obtaining the first medical uh, cannabis license in the country of Uruguay. So, you know, Uruguay did things a little bit differently than most other places uh, where they actually, um, they implemented a, a adult use model first and then they followed up with the medical program. So I, I sort of stood back until the medical program was on the table because quite frankly, that's where I saw the, the long-term value and, and opportunity. And, and really that's the aspect which really aligns with my interests. 
you actually a- answered the next question. We wanted to know why Uruguay, what makes the, the country so special. But I think, um, you know, it, it does seem to be a really unique, um, you know, personal and professional, um, you know, relationship that you have with the country and the land there. Um, you know, and people in the U.S., um, because we're, you know, we tend to only care about ourselves. Um, we always make comparisons between the U.S. and Canada that, you know, what can we learn from a country like Canada that federally legalized it before we did? Um, but what are some of the things that the U.S. can learn from a country like Uruguay? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Uruguay has, has taken a, a very considered approach to how they rolled out the regulations. Um, at times it can be frustrating, but, you know, when you're dealing with being first and, and with such a, I, I would say, a, a controversial topic, you know, I think that it, it behooves, you know, the country to move slowly. And, and so they've really, they've rolled out the program in a way that, you know, like I said, they, the first, the, their first move was to, to roll out adult use. Um, and I think similar to what we saw in, in the, you know, early on in Colorado and some of the other states in the U.S., you know, everybody was just sort of holding their breath, waiting to see what the, the impacts were going to be, primarily on, you know, adolescent use and, and other things like that. So and what we saw in, in both Uruguay as well as, you know, in Colorado was that there really were no negative effects on, on you know, adolescent consumption or, you know, major diversion and things like that. So I think there's this this period of time where, you know, the country needed to acclimate to this. You know, Uruguay, generally speaking, is a, is a fairly conservative country. It's often referred to as you know, the Switzerland of, of Latin America. It has a healthy history of respect for property rights and laws. And, um, and so, you know, it's a slow and steady approach. And I think that that you know, it's a, at times can be frustrating when you're an entrepreneur in a startup environment, but I think it's going to serve um, both Fatma and the country very well in the long term in that, you know, they've taken measured steps and really what they've done, what they've achieved is, is I think they've, they've been able to get the general um, support, you know, of the population here and of the, you know, the international community. So I think it's it's been a very you know a very thoughtful and, and and prudent approach to the rollout. I think uh, your mention of the the international community in that is interesting. In that you guys are you know while you, the the company is domiciled in uh, Uruguay, you have designs well beyond, um, and you guys are are credited with um, the largest commercial shipment um, of dried flour uh, with the high level, the highest levels of of THC. Um, you know, talk about your strategy to to export and why why that was a a, a better strategy than. An alternative. Yeah, so our, our license by by design and purpose is is primarily for export. Um, that being said, we, you know we, we also hope to achieve uh, you know some domestic presence in the near future as well. But you know by and large, the the way that the regulations were established was to allow Uruguay to you know to enter into the, the world market as a as a supplier. So you know fortunately, we we've made I, I believe now three of the largest shipments in, in the history of cannabis. Um, and Uruguay is, is well positioned. I mean, there's, 
in this industry, you know, I think counterparty risk is is it's something that countries you know, take very seriously, and I think Uruguay, you know, provides a, a very stable and um, and sort of I would say a very well received counterparty uh, to be in this industry, as far as you know, whether it's going to Europe or Australia or Israel. Talking about you know the the. You mentioned the, the large shipments you guys have sent um, to places like Europe. Can you talk about like what countries you're working in and, you know, what that pipeline from from Uruguay or just Latin America in general looks like when it comes to these other uh, other continents when you guys are sending stuff to, to Europe, to Israel and Australia? Can you talk about that pipeline? Yeah, sure. I mean, so we've you know, the pipeline didn't didn't exist. Um, and that's that's one of the sort of the. The challenges in being first is that we're really, you know, we're establishing the, these these trade pathways, and it, it's for me, having been in the industry for you know since 2009, the cultivation aspect um, is probably the least challenging part of my job these days. Um, you know, connecting regulatory agencies around the world is is a challenging task. Coordinating, you know, INCB quotas, coordinating. Uh, international law, uh, logistics through you know, various countries. So, you know, it's, there's been a lot of heavy lifting being the first player in, in, in this market um, as far as, you know, certainly we're the first to, to ship product out of Latin America and, and oftentimes we're the first to send major shipments into, into some of the countries that we've sent to. So, um, you know, along with Canada, I think that, that we've done more to open up these, these trade pathways than, than just about anybody else. Um, but yeah, it, it takes time. You have to work with the government, with regulators. You have to have a lot of patience and a very keen understanding of international law and the nuances of uh, the regulations in every jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. I, well, I want to expand on that because you guys are, are based out of Uruguay. And I, when I think about Latin American cannabis, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners think the same way too, the first country that comes to mind is Colombia. So uh, I guess, you know, this will be a two-part question. How do you compare what you guys are doing in Uruguay versus, you know, what's coming out of Colombia? Like, is there, is there a, you know, a, a real strategic advantage there? Um, and then the second part of my question is, are you guys looking to expand within Latin America? Like, does it excite you about the uh, possibility of entering a country like, you know, uh, Colombia or even say a Brazil? Yeah, absolutely. So just to, to start off with the, the question about Colombia, um, Colombia, I think one of the biggest differentiators between Uruguay and Colombia at the moment is that the regulatory uh, framework in, in Uruguay allows us to export uh, dried flour, which in Colombia is not allowed. They can only export oil and, and derivative products. So that's one key differentiator. Uh, the other is Colombia, you know, on paper is very attractive. And I think that in the future, it is going to be an important market. Um, but it presents other challenges. I mean, Colombia logistically is, is very complicated, um, you know, transportation, um, even just finding land that that's suitable for cultivation. Um, it's, it's a lot harder to find in Colombia than it is in Uruguay. Uruguay is a you know, it's, it's one of the least densely populated countries in the world. So it's, a, you know, there's almost, or there are more, many more cows than people here. So um, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's really well suited for, for agriculture. It is an agricultural country. 
Um, and so I think that the leverage that we have here is, is not necessarily, you know, being on the equator like Colombia or having the lowest, you know, cost of, of labor, but, you know, a lot of the other variables do, do play out favorably. And, and overall, I think it's a, you know, it's a nice balance and it does, you know, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time in Colombia as well. And, and um, I, I think that, you know, both countries have something to offer, but I think Uruguay is very unique in Latin America as far as being able to offer uh, a very clear path to, you know, increase production over the years. And, and that's the other thing is, is that, you know, FOBMERS obtained a, a license which allows us to grow into 200 tons of production, which is, you know, is obviously a very significant quantity. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we're, you know, looking at that in, in, in an environment like Uruguay, is, it's a lot easier to plan for something like that than it would be in Colombia based on my experience. And as far as our interest in participating in other Latin American countries, you know, we're very interested in having a pan-national footprint, whether it be Colombia or Brazil or Peru. Um, so we're, you know, we've been actively, you know, engaged in conversations in, in various jurisdictions and, and we, you know, when the time is right and we feel that the market um, has developed far enough along to, to, merit an investment or, you know, an active collaboration in, in one of these other jurisdictions, we're, we're very much looking forward to, to doing so. Let's go beyond Latin America. Where else in the world excites you? Well, right now, I think all eyes are, are on Europe um, and, and Israel. Um, Israel sort of over the last year has developed into, I think, the leading importer of, of cannabis worldwide. Um, and it's a, it's growing rapidly. So I think, um, you know, Germany has been at the front of mind for most people. And, and then you've got countries like Italy and Poland and the, you know, in France, they're, they're implementing a, a trial program and, and in the UK. So and I'm sure I'm missing a, a few others, but, um, you know, so Europe is, is, is going to be a very important market. And I think like many other, uh, you know, sort of, industries as this matures we're going to see uh, a supply chain that that really is is you know where the product is produced in a low-cost jurisdiction like uruguay and it ends up in a high value destination like the eu or you know or israel or hopefully eventually even even the u.s and oh, and on that note i i, I just do want to mention that, that we have actually received a dea import license uh, for, you know, to send research material into the U.S. So, you know, it was a nice acknowledgement that, that the U.S. Uh, federal government, and the DEA in particular, recognizes Uruguay as a, as a valid counterparty in, in the cannabis trade. That is awesome. I mean, I know that there's a lot of people growing cannabis, but that's great that the DEA is actually looking at, you know, nations like Uruguay and Colombia and, and recognizing that, you know, they have something to offer here and, you know, it's, it, something to be taking a look at. But, you know, I think it's interesting because you've mentioned now, you know, working with regulators and governments in different parts of the world. And, you know, there's been a global pandemic this entire year, it seems like. And so I'm wondering, how has it been, you know, working across the globe with all of COVID-19? Has there been a significant impact to your guys' business? I mean, we've been impacted in, in I think, many similar ways that, that other businesses have as far as, you know, just 
the physical interactions amongst you know our, our, our team and um, and difficulties in travel and things like that. But you know, stepping back from that, you know, let let, let me just you know g- give you a little sort of look at what's been happening in Uruguay with COVID. I mean, the, the country still has uh, I think less than twenty five hundred cases in total reported. Um, wow. So it's really, it's, it's a, quite the exception. You're making the case for me to move there. Like I'm ready. It's a pretty nice place to be and it feels pretty safe <laughs> considering, you know, what's going on in the rest of the world right now. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's an outlier. Uh, certainly in Latin America, it's, you know, we're surrounded by Argentina, Brazil, where, where COVID has been just, you know, really it's, it's the impact has been tremendous. But Uruguay had, you know, took action very early. Um, the country, I think, you know, from a social perspective, people are respectful of, of laws and, and that, you know, helped with the situation quite a bit. Um, and the government was, was extremely, you know, proactive about getting ahead of this and, and, and really, you know, making sure that there wasn't a, a major influx of, of contamination, um, you know, before COVID got here. So, it's it's been a really a, bl- a blessing to be located in, in a country like Uruguay during such a challenging time. Um, you know, we are my team is you know, sort of spread out uh, between Uruguay as well as the U.S. and and Europe. Um, so that you know that has certainly created some some hardships. But generally speaking, what we're seeing is that the demand for cannabis has you know has continued to increase and. Maybe even at an accelerated pace, to you know, during this time, and governments certainly seem to be taking you know a, a, a step back from from the hardline approach that they might have had prior to COVID, and I think that we've seen this you know in the U.S. in particular, where cannabis businesses were, were designated as you know as critical businesses to remain open, um, and so yeah, it's it's I think it's actually it's been one of the few bright spots economically for, you know, as far as economic opportunities, um, you know, certainly here in Uruguay and I imagine, you know, in many other countries as well. I'm now going to ask you to um, look into the future, which I think is, is it's so unfair of me to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. You're not just a company from Uruguay. And as you've said to us, you know, before you, you are a global player. Where do you see, Fatmer a year from now? Yeah, so we, we are, a year from now, we're hoping to be well along uh, our, our pathway to producing manufactured products. Um, we hope to be, you know, well-established in the retail markets in, in Germany and Israel with branded products. Um, we are, you know, embarking on our expansion, our next phase of expansion, which is going to include, you um, you know, additional production as well as manufacturing lines here in, in Uruguay. Um, looking to really finalize certain distribution partnerships within Latin America. Um, and, you know, just to continue to, you know, get our name out there um, and, and take credit for, for the work that we've done and, and let people, you know, know a little bit more about us because, you know, by design, when, when this industry was starting and there was a lot of hype and, and people selling, uh, you know, dreams and, and we, you know, made a, a very conscientious decision to put our heads down, do the hard work, 
and, you know, create something of, of value and then come out to the world and, and, and share it with them. So we're at that point now and um, we're pretty, we're very proud of the accomplishments we've made to date. And so, you know, now it's time to, to get out and, and let the world know who we are. And, um, you know, already, you know, in, in markets like Israel and, and elsewhere, our product is, is considered to be, you know, at the very, the very, you know, top of class and, and it's, you know, from a quality perspective. And, and so, yeah, so we're looking to put our, our face forward and, and, and receive sort of the public recognition that, that we, we feel like we deserve. I want to build on that because, you know, part of, part of that is that, you know, you guys are going to want investors, you know, that are, are interested in these global markets and are going to need to, to have a, a pretty good understanding of how the rest of the, the world is evolving and maturing their cannabis markets because it's a little bit different, a little bit slower than what's going on in uh, North America, you know, Canada and, and the U.S. So if you were talking to, to an American investor that's looking at cannabis companies that, that operate globally, what would you tell them to look out for? Yeah, well, I, one thing that I, I like to refer back to is, you know, when I was, when I first made the decision to really focus on Latin America, that was by and large, you know, you know, I, it was informed by, I, there was a Harvard business case, you know, study on the flower, the cut flower industry in the U.S., and if you looked how that evolved, you know, there were hothouses regionally all over the U.S. that produced roses. And, and as the, you know, the industry matured, everything consolidated to, you know, Colorado and California. And then eventually it moved all, you know, primarily to Latin America. Um, and so I, I really don't see cannabis much differently as, as it turns, you know, when you're talking about bulk production and, and more of a commoditized product, we're going to see most of the supply coming, if not all of the supply coming out of low cost jurisdictions. I mean, obviously we do have um, sort of this unique legal structure, which, which has created, you know, state by state fragmentation in the U S but I would really look, you know, I, I tried to take a 10 year, you know, and longer outlook on the industry because I saw how quickly things developed when I was in Colorado um, but I, I think if I'm an investor in the U.S., I would I would look beyond just the U.S. borders. I would look at, at really what does this this industry look like when it normalizes um, into a, a, an international uh, you know an, an international opportunity where there's more or less you know free trade across borders. Um, I think what we're going to see is is by and large products being produced in low cost jurisdictions like Uruguay. And, you know, some refining steps taking place close to the source of production because transportation uh, is, is very expensive when you're dealing in bulk, uh, you know, material like cannabis. And, you know, then you, you get into branding and distribution in, in the higher value markets. So um, from my perspective, you know, the opportunity lies in this early phase really with, with building a, a solid foundation where... And that's what we provide here is a solid foundation. And, and, you know, now we're sort of climbing up the, the food chain as we, as we expand and, and into the, the higher value markets. Let's stick with investors. Our listenership um, is a lot of investors and you guys are raising money now for your series C uh, make your pitch. You have, you have, 
open ears. Yeah, so we uh, currently, we, we've basically, uh, we're, we're producing uh, about eight tons of, of biomass, which we're selling through. We're on our third season right now, um, signing offtake agreements, multi-year offtake agreements. And, you know, there's now, fortunately, the demand is starting to exceed the supply. So we're ready to, uh, you know, expand our, pr- our production. Um, so we're looking in the near term to grow our cultivation capacity to about you know, 30 tons of production over the next five years, as well as you know, continuing to build our, our manufacturing facilities uh, to EU GMP specifications. And you know, we're going to the market raising $20 million in this next round, and that will allow us to execute on, on this next phase of development. And, and fortunately, um, we've already built the client base. We've already proven the regulatory pathways. We've proven the quality of the product and, you know, our costs are, are known. And, and so, yeah, I think this is, you know, as opposed to some of the other opportunities out there, which are, are mostly speculative, I think what investors, uh, the opportunity with us is a proven track record and, and really just, you know, top level execution. Jordan, I'm going to pick up where, where Anne left off, where she had you looking into your crystal ball, kind of looking at the future. Um, you know, I got really excited during the VP debates when when Kamala Harris mentioned that under a Biden administration, the U.S. could, uh, you know, the decriminalization would is essentially on the way. That's what's most exciting to me. When you look at your crystal ball and when you think about the future, what is the most exciting thing for you within the, the maturation of the cannabis industry? For, for me, I think it's, it's watching these markets open and develop. And, and I mean, I'll, I'll use Israel as, a, as an example. I mean, just, just seeing that, you know, everyone talks about this, this hockey stick sort of growth. I mean, re- reaching that inflection point where you go from slow growth to, to very rapid growth, that's, that's what I get excited about because that's really, you know, it's, 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 that's where everything comes alive. And, and, um, you know, I saw it in Colorado. I participated in Colorado. And, you know, the lesson that I took away from that was you really have to be prepared to, to capture that thunder when it happens. So that's really what we've set ourselves up to do here. We've, you know, we've put all the pieces in place that as these markets get turned on and the demand starts, you know, really going through the roof that we're able to, to rapidly, you know, increase our 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 cultivation and, and uh, manufacturing capabilities to meet that demand. So that's, that's, I'm, I'm really excited about the new markets coming online in Europe. I'm excited to see what happens in the U S I, I think that's, you know, more of a, a mid to long-term opportunity, but I do believe that that change is coming. And um, in addition to that, watching, you know, the sort of the general sentiment in Latin America shift and, and, and watching these countries open. So I, I'm, you know, by nature, I, I think I'm an explorer and, and I, I like to, you know, go out and find new opportunities and, and they're all around. So I, I love being a part of that process. Okay. One more question. And it's something we ask everyone. What do you think that the media is missing, particularly the U.S. media, about the international cannabis market? What do they get wrong? And and maybe you can think about it. Like if you were to open up the front page of the Financial Times, what would be the headline you'd want to see or the story you'd want to see? Well, I think what they're they're getting wrong is is that, you know, they've been 
most of the attention has been focused, you know, early on on, on the Canadian LPs, and and I think that was by you know a virtue or a result of of Canada being uh, you know an early mover with a big presence and, and access to the capital markets. I think what they're missing out on is really how the industry is, is truly developing. I think those of us in the industry realized, you know, quite some time ago that Canada was never going to be the, the powerhouse that, that everybody thought it was going to be. Um, so I think those in the know already are seeing that, that you know, companies such as FODMER are really the ones that are positioned to, to quickly and, and, and in the near term grow into these powerhouse companies. Um, and, you know, hopefully the, the media will start paying more attention to that because, you know, I think the story in Canada is old and, and quite frankly, it's um, stale. Um, and the story in Europe is, you know, I, there's you know, probably maybe a little bit of overexposure there. And certainly in Latin America, um, the focus has been on, you know, a few companies, primarily Colombian based that have made a lot of noise because you know, once again, they were publicly traded or, or aiming to become publicly traded. But the fact is we're the only ones who have shipped commercial THC out of Latin America. And we've actually uh, shipped more than anybody else in the world. So, um, you know, I love it when, when companies do what they say they're going to do. Yeah. It's, um, that's, that's, that's been our mantra from day one. I mean, we, we really, we set out to avoid, the all of the, the sort of the, the hot air that was being pushed around. Um, and look, I mean, not a lot of people might agree with, with that strategy, but from my perspective, um, I think it was the right strategy because I, you know, that's not, that's not really what I, the game that I ever wanted to play. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a banker. I'm, you know, I'm a hands-on operator and I'm building a business from the ground up. And I'm trying to build the, the, the most solid foundation as possible. So now that we've, we've accomplished the things that we have, I'm, I'm proud to say that we've, we've done that. And, um, and now we're ready for the next phase of our evolution. I love that. Jordan Lewis, founder, CEO, Fatmer Life Sciences, with a really respectable side hustle for the Uruguay Tourism Board. Um, <laughs> you should definitely get on their payroll if you're not already on it. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. No, thank you, and Nick. I really appreciate you having me and, and look forward to chatting in the future. And that was our interview with Jordan Lewis, CEO and founder of Fatmer Life Sciences. You can uh, learn more about the company by visiting their website, Fotmer.com. That's F-O-T-M-E-R. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter at the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Uh, shoot Ann and I an email at greenrush at KCSA.com. We love feedback. We love guest ideas. We love to just hear from our fans. And don't forget, subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher and to our weekly newsletter. Um, you can do both of those things uh, from our website, greenrushpodcast.com. That's one take, Shay. Net. One take. But Anne's going to interrupt. <laughs> that was so much. <laughs> it's greenrushpodcast.net. No, it's greenrushpodcast.com. I'm sending you the link. Well, that's new information. <laughs> that's not new. This year. <laughs> Okay. <laughs>
<laughs> Two takes, Jay. <laughs> Two takes. <laughs>